All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace. We thank you for this privilege of gathering together as your children as we wait for your return. We gather together here in unity and in great hope and anticipation of everything you said in your word, being true and coming true. And we ask right now that you help us learn and understand your word through the guidance of your spirit so that we can really live by grace and live in hope as you've designed us to live and to even reign in this life. We ask your blessing to be upon everything that goes on this evening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. Again on the board, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, and so are we. Part 10. By grace, our Lord prepared the apostles in many ways, um, countless number of ways. We can't even imagine the different ways he prepared them, some that are not recorded in Scripture. But I was thinking, for example, uh, regarding grace. The Lord showed the apostles what grace looked like in many different ways. He told them about grace and taught them about grace. And he even supplied them with the grace that they needed when they were humble. There's so many ways and facets to grace and, and how and when he taught them about it, but in all different ways. And in a way, grace is the beginning and the end of our glorifying God. Or should I say, the beginning and the end of God glorifying himself through us. But grace is both the source and our finished product. Yet all of it, every bit of it, is a product of God himself. So that's where the supernatural joy comes in from uh, this realization. On the board, we went here on Sunday regarding perspective. Joy, a la 1 Thessalonians 5.16, comes from appreciating the things that God has given us by grace. Joy has come from, or comes from, appreciating the things that God has given us by grace. It's so simple, isn't it? And this same principle on the board, if you remember, in different wording, this came up a couple years ago in a series we did on Thanksgiving when we were talking about literally counting all of our blessings. Joy comes from appreciating the things that God has given us by grace. It doesn't come the way we think, the way the world teaches us since our youth. It comes this way. Very simple, but very different. So it's really like joy is right in front of us, like all the time, because God's grace is right in front of us all the time. And we only enjoy it if we open our eyes to all the facets or ways of grace that God's put in our life. So that's why it's possible to always fulfill the command to rejoice always. You know, you might be like, I can't do that. Well, that's a command. How do I rejoice always? Well, 
It's possible because of grace. It's possible because of a changed perspective, like on the board. Uh, it's right there in front of us. So on the board, we saw the word for rejoice is from the Greek Cairo, which is from the root car, meaning favorably disposed, leaning towards, and cognate with charis, which means grace, the Greek word for grace. Properly to delight in God's grace, rejoice. Literally, to experience God's grace or favor. Be conscious, glad for His grace. In brief, it means being glad for grace. Being conscious or glad for God's grace, it means there's a conscious effort that's made to remember God's grace. It, it goes back to free will and your humility. But as part of that very definition, be conscious for God's grace. It's a decision. While living in this world, it's something we must consciously choose to look at and receive rather than ignore. The flesh is really good at ignoring anything that doesn't appease itself right away, for example. So we have to consciously choose to look at all the forms of grace in our lives. Uh, some of us need a sickness to do that. Some of us need a, a harsh form of discipline. Um, some harsh form of correction in our lives before we finally look at that. I sat down with a, an older couple today. They were about 80 years old. And the guy was like, you know, he just had a stroke like two years ago. Until you have that, you don't appreciate all the little things in life. And unfortunately, that's true for most of us. We need that thing to happen in our lives to let us enjoy everything. So do we have to do that, though? I mean, we're here with the Word of God. We're here in humility to obey and rejoice always or be glad for grace. So we don't have to be that person that has to have something like that happen to have our eyes opened. We can choose the other. We can choose to consciously see His forms of grace. And it's really the opposite of familiarity which is forgetting God's grace, if you think about it. So on the board, we have a daily choice to make, a daily choice. And it doesn't go away till the day you die, till the day the Lord takes us home. There's a daily choice, no matter how, quote-unquote, mature we get or whatever, blah, blah, blah. This struggle or this choice, almost to choose for life or to not choose for life, is with us every day. Familiarity and rejoicing in God's grace are really mutually exclusive. They can't coexist. Familiarity and rejoicing in God's grace. If we get too familiar with God's blessings, we will not enjoy His grace. However, rejoicing in His grace means you're not being familiar. Which ones are going to be? You can't be both at the same time. And this is where we have to um, check in, check ourselves a lot, right? Examine ourselves every day. Because God knows how easy it is to slip into that familiarity place and not even realize you're doing it. Thus the value of repentance, right? 
always going to God with a humble heart and being like, um, what am I, you know, where's my perspective off right now? What, what, what am I doing wrong? Even when you think you're doing right, let's say. We check in and we like, all right, am I being familiar in any way right now? It's a great part of a prayer life. Again, on the board, a daily choice. Familiarity and rejoicing in God's grace are really mutually exclusive. If we get too familiar with God's blessings, we will not enjoy His grace. However, rejoicing in His grace means you are not being familiar. So on the board, we saw this on Sunday, rejoicing in grace. As is the case with any other command in the Bible, God's command to rejoice always is first made possible by His grace. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? All things. How? By grace. Any command can be fulfilled by any one of us if we rely on His grace. So God knows we don't have the ability on our own to obey any of His commands. But He always supplies the grace first to the humble. He supplies the grace first to those who want to obey and follow Him. To those who are willing to admit, I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord, but I want to. Can you help me here? That, that attitude, all right, that's a humble attitude. And he will enable us by grace to, to follow his commands. Grace empowers believers in every way to fulfill God's plan and will. Grace empowers us. So on the board again, we saw this on Sunday, rejoicing in grace. In fact, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the very act of rejoicing is not only enabled by grace, but the object of our rejoicing is also grace. Grace, in essence, becomes spherical, all-encompassing, a function of God's enveloping love, both cause and effect something to contemplate. Um, Grace itself actually enables us to rejoice in God's grace. Uh, It reminds me of this passage on the board in John 1.16. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. He supplies us with grace coming and going. And notice believers have already received this fullness in this verse. So what does that mean? It means we already have it, right? So what does that mean if we don't see it? It's our problem, right? We're in the way. Because we already have His fullness. We've already received His fullness. So we just need more grace. So we just need more humility. And that's where God's been taking us, right? Teaching us about humility. Just when we think we're humble, we realize we're not. And there's always more ground to be gained, so to speak, in that area. So God keeps humbling us, teaching us, humbling us, teaching us, gracing us out. And more and more we'll see this fullness thing that we've already received, His fullness. We've already received So we just need to grow and recognize it. 
recognizing all of His grace in our lives from beginning to end. And it's realizing His grace that will cause us to rejoice and even reign in this life, according to the Scriptures. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 5, verse 1. And let's see a little bit more about that, that point. That it's realizing His grace that will cause us to rejoice and even reign in this life. That's really God's destiny for us in this world even. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult. That's rejoice. We exult in hope of the glory of God. Why? Because we realize the grace that we stand in. We rejoice in His grace and in our future hope. Again, realizing His grace causes us to rejoice. Look at verse 17, Romans five seventeen. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, talking about Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Again, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And guess what? If you reign in life, you're happy. You're rejoicing. That They almost might be the same thing. You have joy because life isn't overcoming you. You, by His grace, are overcoming life. And that's for us now. That's for us believers now to live in. Rejoicing in His grace is a way to that life of reigning. And look at Romans 5, 20 through 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace would reign through righteousness. That's what we've been designed for. That's what we've been saved for. But if you don't see His grace, if you don't rejoice in His grace, you're not going to reign through righteousness. You're, you know, turning a blind eye to His grace in a way because you're looking at the wrong things. So grace is given to us and designed by God to help us reign through this life. One way we reign in life by grace is by rejoicing right in the middle of the devil's world, right in the face of Satan, so to speak. That's one way that we, we reign in life through grace, because we rejoice. We rejoice in God's grace, the little things, the big things, the beginning, the end, wherever, whatever side or part of our life it's in. 
We rejoice in all the parts of the grace. And when we do that in the, in the devil's world, that brings tremendous glory to God. Really, he brings glory to himself by giving us that grace in the first place. So the world and Satan's system has no power over us. We, we grant it power. But really, it has no power over us. We can, we can go above that all. We can transcend the details in this world that can get us down when we, if we let them. But we can have joy in the midst of this anti-God world. If we open our eyes. If we rejoice always. In fact, Jesus told us to take courage because he has overcome the world. In John 16, 33. So, take courage. Like the apostles did. So we are enabled by grace to rejoice in this life and this world, regardless of circumstances. But rejoicing in His grace, remember, is positioned against familiarity. They can't coexist, those two things. If you're going to rejoice in His grace, you've got to stop being familiar with even the small things. You can't do both. So on the board, we're reminded again of the plague of familiarity. And this is an interesting point. You kind of got to read this slow. I had to read it like 10 times (laughs) to really just think about the point being made. We remain conscious of outside stimuli when we don't have confidence in its consistency, purity, and predictability. In other words, when things aren't going well. That's when we uh, remain conscious of outside stimuli. When we don't have the confidence in its consistency, purity, and predictability. So now we're paying attention, in other words. But until the normalcy of something is disturbed, our conscious attention of it is minimal, even dismissive. In other words, when everything's going right, all right, I, I can forget about that part of my life, even though it may be the best part of my life. It may be the greatest grace I'm being shown. So, you know, as part of the, the flesh is this plague of familiarity. It's really crazy. The people or things that are most consistent and treat us the best are the things we forget about. Because in our stupidity, we think they're always going to be there. So what do we do? We take them for granted. We might even dismiss them in our souls. When someone loves us and offers us stability, they're always there for us. Well, what happens is we have no more worries or concerns about that person being there, right? It's like a spouse that takes advantage of a faithful spouse. When a spouse is really faithful and really forgiving, well, the flesh just takes advantage of that and tramples all over it, doesn't appreciate it. But the spirit appreciates that very much, appreciates and rejoices in that grace, that rare gem, let's say. But the flesh takes people for granted. It says, ah, 
They'll always be there. I thank God for them. I do. But now I'm going to go live for myself because I know I don't have any worries with them. And I know they'll even be there if I screw up. I can come back to them and take advantage of them again. That's the flesh. So the thing the Spirit's brought out is that this is a sophomoric attitude that we even have towards the Lord. How do we know that? Look how many believers, if they're believers, live for the things of the world and live for themselves. Isn't that taking advantage of or taking for granted God's grace in their life? So you understand God saved you. You understand he shed his blood for you. Uh, you understand you wouldn't be alive without him. You understand you, you could never earn eternal life on your own. But now that you understand that and you know you're all set, you can go live for yourself. It's sophomoric, right? It's arrogant. Like a selfish teenager might act towards their parents who care for them very well. These days, even selfish adults treat their parents that way. So the Spirit had us consider on Sunday, throughout the course of your life, who have you become most familiar with? It's got to be somebody. You're not perfect, right? Who have you become most familiar with in your life? Is it the ones you love the most? The ones you're confident will always be there because they're so faithful to you. They're so generous to you. They help you all the time, every time you're in need. Is that the one that you take for granted? It's so easy to do, but as we saw on Sunday, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. I'll, I'll do anything for you, in other words. But if I love you more, am I to be loved less? Like, why is that going on? Living in the flesh. Um, in the message, the same verse. I'd be most happy to empty my pockets, even mortgage my life for your good. So how does it happen that the more I love you, the less I'm loved? It happens, even amongst believers. This is really a good wake-up call for those of us who have taken grace for granted. Who have you become most familiar with in your lives? And you might also think of people that take you for granted. You might think of somebody that takes you for granted because you're always there for them. You treat them in kindness, maybe when no one else does. And it hurts when the shoe's on the other foot, doesn't it? It's not a good feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling to be taken advantage of, let's say. And yet we do it to others in our lives. So hopefully that motivates us to appreciate those who are so loving and faithful to us, which is another way to say rejoice in God's grace. Rejoice in God's provisions for you. Even if you have one good friend, rejoice in that. Rejoice that you have shelter in this country. I mean, rejoice in the provisions of God, the grace provisions of God that he didn't have to give you, and that many people in this world, millions of people in this world, 
right now suffer from lack of basics. I had one of our pastors in Africa email me today and say, I'm out of food. Can you help me? I mean, that's the reality in the world. And what do we do? We take food for granted. Hmm. Anthony and I were talking before service about, um, you know, how you could see some wild turkeys in these parts, right? I got a lot in my backyard, seems every day. And we were thinking about if really, if really things go wrong in our country, if things, you know, collapse, let's just say the economy, right? How valuable will one of those wild turkeys be to you? And, and we were saying if we, you know, you go hunting and you, you, you get one, you're going to take advantage of every part of that turkey for your benefit, whether it's food or whatever the different parts of the body could help you with. Um, it's going to be gold to you. And so, like, we can have that kind of appreciation now as believers because we're, we're under the word. We're being humbled by the word. We're being saying, don't forget the graces you've been shown. Don't forget what you have right now. And it might be little compared to some, but none of it's deserved. None of it should ever be expected. And millions of people in this world don't have it right now. So who are you that you have it? So we've got to open our eyes, right? Rejoice in God's grace. Rejoice in His provisions. Especially those that actually love you and care about you. Because that's a commodity. That's a rarity. So as came up on Sunday, the best example of taking advantage of loved ones is with parents. Uh, sometimes the kinder they are, the more they get taken for granted and even abused in a way. And it's really a shame. It's really obviously against God's way of thinking. Um, it's a worldly way of selfish thinking that literally abuses God's grace provisions. That's one of the provisions in life we get. And granted, we don't all have, quote-unquote, great parents or um, not the same thing in every situation. But we know there's a reason for everything. Do we abuse God's grace provisions, whatever grace He has given us? Go again to Ephesians 6.1. Oh, you're already in Ephesians 5, aren't you? Oh, no? Okay. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And this was an interesting Greek word that came out uh, on Sunday. The Greek word for honor is tomeo, and it means to fix the value of. To fix the value of. Don't forget the value of your parents. Honor them, like, consistently. Treat them like gold, should we say? If we're talking about value. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's the irony in it all. When you appreciate God's grace, it's to your, your benefit. But in other words, remember, don't forget the grace the Lord your God has shown you. That sound familiar? Fix a value on People like parents or anyone who loves and cares for you. Anybody who loves and cares for you. 
Fix a value on them. Don't forget their immense value in your life, whatever grace they show you. Don't forget and let their value decrease in your soul because you get used to them. I mean, I hate to use money, but unfortunately we relate to the best. If you had a gold bar, you know, one of those old nice beauties, what do you call that, bullion? I don't even know. Big gold bar, okay? And it's on your table at home. Do you ever wake up and look at it and forget the value of that? No, you don't even keep it on your table because you know the value of it, right? You hide it under your bed or whatever you do. But you never, ever would forget the value of that gold bar. Pretty sad, huh? Money, no problem. People, ah, I'll get another one. It's crazy. The flesh is ugly. And we're the ones that suffer when we forget the value of uh, such gracious people in our lives, even if it is only one. We are the ones that suffer. We lose out on having joy in that grace blessing. When God's like, you know what? If you, if you see and you appreciate that person as the gift they are, your life is going to be so much more enjoyable. You, you'll even stop looking for things. You'll realize what you have, you know? So God knows. He's our creator. He knows us very intimately. He knows this is our tendency in the flesh. And he's the one who suffered the most from this uh, disease called familiarity. On the board, familiarity is a function of the faithfulness of others. It's something that feeds off of the predictability of the most faithful individuals we've got in our lives. And who's more faithful than the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are we more familiar with, honestly? He's the one that gives us all good things. All good things. But do we thank him for every good thing in our lives? No, but he's the source. He's given us life itself and all the little graces he's chosen for you personally, along with it. Whatever's right for you. But we all got them. He's personally chosen those things for you. So think about this. If we just turn around in our souls repent right if we just turn around if we repent of our familiarity admit our wrong in that area guess what when you turn around from from this to this you see the grace that's right there under your nose so repent of familiarity examine yourselves daily so you don't, we, we don't keep falling into that trap and not even realize we fell back in it again. Examine ourselves. Repent of familiarity so we can see the wonderful things right there under our nose, right in our lives right now. We all do it. Good days, bad days. But we can have a lot more good days because we can rejoice in His grace anytime we want. So God the Father is saying, look down right in front of you it's right there stop looking at the things in the world to make you happy you know it's like there's a it's like there's a gift right here in front of your face but what you do you keep looking over it and you're like what's out there i want that thing the world says i want that thing and we keep our eyes up here like an idiot you know always straining to see something new 
And the best things are the simplest things, aren't they? Ultimately. So God's saying it's right there. Look. On the board, we saw this on Sunday. Grace in our faces daily. It's a good way to put it. Grace in our faces daily. The abundance of grace in our life is so predictable that we become familiar with it to our own detriment. God is able to glorify himself despite our failures. But in our familiarity, we lose out on the rejoicing in such facts. We lose out on the rejoicing in the gifts he's given us. It's our problem. He's still going to bring himself glory. He's still going to use us to some degree if we're humble. But we miss out on the ride. We miss out on the joy. We miss out, as we saw in Romans 5, on reigning in life as he wants us to do. And he's empowered us to do by grace. So it's a shame, but we miss out on the happiness that he intended for us. Why? Because we look right past it. Right past the simplest and best graces in our life that he's given us. So again, on the board, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice, be glad for grace always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the prayers I pray a lot, which I haven't been praying lately and I forget sometimes, is to thank God for his gentleness towards me. The how many times he should have disciplined me or crushed me or forgot about me. And just thanking God for his grace and mercy. And that's a good place to start. Rejoice, be glad for his grace always. Lest you forget where you came from, right? or what you deserve. And the Spirit also brought out on Sunday about being truly thankful for one another in this room even. For the grace provision of brothers and sisters who stand beside us and live in the Lord's love and grace. I mean, we take each other for granted all the time. I know I do. And heaven's just going to be a constant rejoicing in God's love together for and with one another with nothing in the way. And right now you may not want to hug everybody in this room as Pastor brought up on Sunday, but that's your flesh speaking if you feel that way. When the flesh is totally out of the way, it's going to be just so enjoyable. Joy, peace, contentment constantly so we can experience this now on the board appreciation produces love if we appreciated the family of God he put in our lives if we appreciated those that show concern and kindness toward us the love would be flowing constantly in both directions and that's where God's taken us. That's where he's been taking us for a couple years. If we appreciated the family of God that he's put in our lives, if we appreciated those who actually show concern and kindness toward us, if we just stopped, in other words, and appreciated them, 
the love would be flowing constantly in both directions. Life would be so much more enjoyable. And that's where God's taken us, thank you, by grace. That's really how it's supposed to be, in other words, as brethren. Think, look at, think of the book of Acts. Think of the early church when they were living for one another, even selling things to, to help one another's needs and eating together, breaking bread together in joy that the Lord saved them and that he was coming soon. That's like the sphere of love that we should be living in. And we, we are, I think, and we're growing and will be more and more. But it's possible, even in this fallen world, to stand out as a beacon of light, even as a group, even as a church, as the body of Christ, because we can transcend it all and live in this thing called grace. Go to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. It's either rejoice in His grace or be familiar. Stay in the trap of familiarity or repent and rejoice in His grace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. There's that same Greek word, Cairo, uh, be glad for grace. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Right there, you see the blessing from obeying the command to rejoice. I hope. <laughs> if you do these things, in other words, rejoice, be glad for grace, uh, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. It's almost like when you turn to Him, He's there for you. But if you keep looking the other way in familiarity, the God of love and peace won't be with you. On the board, we talked about obedience again on Sunday. If God prepares us, and He does, if God gives the strength, and He does, if God lights the path, and He does, He does it all for us, the very best we can do, quote-unquote, is obey His commands. That's all we can do, actually. And that's all He's asking of us. And obedience results in blessing. You're the one that benefits. <laughs> it's like the stubborn child that won't listen to his parents, right? But if he just listens to his parents, he's blessed, rewarded, safer, more secure, whatever, depending on the situation, right? But he's the one that gets blessed by obeying, even though it's painful to the flesh because of pride. And so we do the same things to God. But if we just obey His commands, we get blessed. Luke 1, 50, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19, we saw. When people obey God's commands, they are the ones who end up getting blessed by God's grace. And as we saw on Sunday, it starts with salvation even. The biggest commands of all, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Stop thinking you're okay on your own. Repent and believe. When someone obeys God's way to be saved, they receive His grace, even the gift of eternal life, and then they can even reign in this life as we saw.
but they have to obey the gospel. There are some verses, you remember, in the past, in our studies, that actually say obey the gospel. Until someone does that thing, they're not going to be blessed. So humility, like the apostles had, frees God up to bless us. Frees God up to bless us, even with starting with salvation. And we've noted and been prepared by the Lord that not everyone's going to obey God's way of salvation. If you're there now, if you've done that thing and you're a child of God, that's obviously awesome and wonderful. That's the greatest commands we could obey or submit to and be blessed by. But part of Jesus preparing the apostles by grace was letting them know and even showing them by examples with people how to deal with people that say no. And this is going to be part of the Great Commission. This is going to be part of living in the Great Commission. And that's okay. We must accept that and know that God has everything under control and we have to accept it like Jesus did because Jesus accepted that. He lived with it. Uh, And how did he handle it? He handled it in grace, by grace, even with those who rejected him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing the greatest example probably but he's our great example if he can do that and stand in the face of rejection like that of those that refuse to obey the gospel we can do it too we're just we're just messengers right we're just passing on a message it's god who causes the growth and jesus was even persecuted for declaring that he was the way And so we expect that in the devil's world also. We're encouraged by his example of love and steadfastness. Who had more love and steadfastness than Jesus? Like, nothing bothered him. He was like, I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm going to act in love. I know these people are saying what they're saying and even doing what they're doing against me, trying to kill me. I'm going to stay in grace. I'm going to keep acting in love and steadfastness. People will take us for granted, even shun our attempts to love them, just like they did to Jesus. And that's okay. Be prepared. The Lord's prepared us. Hasn't he? In the last year or two, he's prepared us. He's let us know our role. He's let us know our place. He's let us know it's not about us and that we're just messengers. We're just sowers of seed, right? But he causes the growth. Only he can cause the growth. He's prepared us in so many ways. Turn again to John 6.64. John 6.64. People are going to take you for granted. They're going to even shun your love, dismiss your love. But it's part of living in the love of God, right? It's part of living in grace. John 6, 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So what happened here? How do people who saw Jesus and saw his miracles get familiar with him and walk away? Think about this for a minute. I was thinking about this. I mean, can you imagine how many miracles these people saw? Because remember the Bible says when he went into a town, he healed everybody, everyone. So that means if you were following Jesus, maybe for a few days, did you see 50 miracles and healings, 100? And these are the same people that walked away from him. That's what happens when we live in the human nature, when we don't repent and believe. We fall into familiarity. Ah, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. You didn't know he can heal blind people? Oh, yeah, I've seen it three times already. You should stick around. But I'm going to go live for myself because I've already seen the magic tricks. I've seen, I've seen the gifts, and now I'm used to them. I'm even going to scoff at them and dismiss them now. Why? Well, the eyes are on the gifts, not on the giver. As Abraham said to the rich man in Hades, even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't believe if they don't believe Moses and the prophets. Eyewitnesses of Jesus' miracles left him. How does that happen? That's the flesh to a T, right? On the board, walking away from Jesus, they became familiar with the blessings, taking for granted the blessor. Familiarity. There it is again. They became familiar with pure miracles. And you know what? If we were there, we might do it too. Jesus healed another blind guy? That's awesome. As though it's normal, as though it's no big deal anymore. So there's the curse of familiarity. And the problem is when we keep our eyes on the blessings and we take for granted the blessors. Okay, I'm going to tell a quick story. Monica, I'm going to embarrass you now. Hope you're not embarrassed. But Monica did some things to her home, and we were talking the other day about this, where she made some improvements, you know, and made it how she wanted to make it. And she had a lot of people help her with it. Uh, people, whatever, physically helping with stuff in the house or buying stuff or whatever, right? And she says the other day to me, um, when I look at all these things, I see the people that did them for me. So I'm not even familiar with them. Isn't that a blessing? It's a blessing. That's a great blessing, right? Because how, how often, again, as pastor says, when we look at the thing, that's all we see. And then guess what? It becomes just another blessing. It becomes a thing. Where instead you can see the blessor in the blessings. What a blessing that is. That's seeing grace. Right in front of you. That's rejoicing in grace. So again on the board, walking away from Jesus, they became familiar with the blessings, 
taking for granted the blessor. There's the curse of familiarity. It's horrible. I mean, it sucks. It sucks the life right out of you. They walked away because their root wasn't in the person of Jesus. They lost sight of him. They didn't place their roots in him. Okay? Their root was in the gifts themselves, the miracles themselves, the blessings themselves. And what happens to that kind of a root? It gets burnt up when the sun beats down on it. It's not anchored in the thing that's real, which is the blessor, the thing that's eternal. It's anchored in temporary gifts. But thank God there will also be those who will see the blessor, who will follow him. Look again in your Bibles at John six sixty seven. So these people walked away from Jesus, and Jesus said to the twelve, you, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. On the board, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter's words epitomized the one thing that separated the apostles from the rest of Jesus' quote-unquote disciples, some of which weren't even saved yet, according to John 6.64 and 1 John 2.19. Humility separated the apostles from many of the other disciples. Submission and surrender are, are fruit of humility, the essence of God's grace and salvation. The answer is right there in the title, by the way. Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, I call you Lord, in other words, right? Again, in John six sixty-eight, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here we see Peter appreciating the grace of God. Not overlooking it, but seeing that it comes from the person himself, Jesus Christ himself. Peter was steadily rejoicing in the fact that he'd been called by the one true God, and he wasn't going to let go of that grace that he was shown, even though others were walking away. And it may have been a distraction, a temptation even. But Peter rejoiced in the grace he'd been shown by the Lord. He's like, I'm not letting this go. Remember that slide, a daily choice? I'm going to choose again to rejoice in the grace I've been shown. I'm not going to take it for granted. And yes, Jesus challenged the disciples from time to time. He said, are you going to go too? Right? But why did he do that? So they would have the opportunity to come to their own conclusions in their hearts. So they could count the cost and develop their own convictions about Christ and His grace. And isn't that the best? Isn't that when it's real? Some of us don't like to be tested, right? Someone tests you or, you know, pushes you away. You could tell they're quizzing you or something, and you're like, why are you doing that? Well, maybe I'm trying to help you come to your own convictions. See if you really believe what you say you believe. And isn't that the best when you pass that test and get over that hurdle? And now you own them? You own the convictions? 
There's nothing like that. On the board, by grace, they were prepared. Jesus taught his disciples to have their own convictions. He then gave them his spirit to teach, encourage, and empower this. And we all have the word of and the spirit of Christ by grace. Only the arrogant who reject God's grace will not have it. Even what they have is going to be taken away from them. But the humble will not only receive God's grace, but they can't fail. They can't fail because on the board, as we've been noting, God's grace never fails. God's grace never fails. So the one who's received it in humility, God's going to bring glory to himself with their life, one way or another, by grace. So the believer is surrounded, think about this, the believer is surrounded by God's grace at all times, more than the believer even sees or realizes. And part of that grace is the God-granted ability to go forward in his calling on their lives. You've been granted, everyone listening right now has been granted a supernatural ability to go forward and live in the Great Commission even in your own unique way and in your own unique ministry, whatever that is. You've been granted a supernatural ability to do it even though you don't think you can do it. I'm going to give you an example in a minute, but on the board, by grace they were prepared. The great work for any believer is to spread the gospel. We all need to literally be changed by grace through faith in order to accomplish this good work. We can't do this on our own. You can't um, will yourself or push yourself to do this thing. Kind of like Simon the Sorcerer did in the book of Acts. You know, I want the gift too. I'll even pay for it. You can't do that. But if God changes you by grace, when, you've, when you accepted him, when you repented and believed and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and he changed you by grace through faith, you can now accomplish this good work because he's in you now. Jesus has left his precious salvation ministry to his sheep to carry on. And you are enabled by his grace. It doesn't matter what, what it looks like, what form it is, that, how different you are than other people. It doesn't matter at all. You, you've been enabled. Don't underestimate God's grace and power in your life. That's all. And this is the example I was thinking about earlier. One of the quietest people I've ever met in my life would speak only one word at a time and in a whisper. That's it. That's how shy this person was. And now they're an American teacher at a school in Egypt, a Muslim country. How does that happen? Clearly, only the grace of God. Don't underestimate God's power in your life and that he, he's empowering you, he's changing you, his grace is all around you. God will use the least of us to do great things for him in his name, period, if we're willing, if we're humble. So as we close, on Sunday we saw more scripture to encourage us and show us how the apostles struggled and overcame by grace through faith. 
And many times they didn't even get what Jesus was saying. That's fairly common in the Gospels. Many times they didn't get what Jesus was saying, even though they followed him around for a few years. But Jesus, you know what? He wasn't surprised. And he wasn't angry with them. He knew their weakness and was committed to using them because they were humble. And they followed him. And so God wants to use us for good. Despite our weaknesses, all the glory of God, or all the glory goes to God in the face of Satan. Why? Because he's able to use us despite of our weaknesses, in spite of our weaknesses. He's able to use us by grace. And that's, again, where the angels kind of drop their jaw and be like, can you believe he used him? Wow, it's crazy. It's all grace. It's all rejoicing in his grace. It's all recognizing his grace. Beginning and end, before and after, in the front of your life and the back of your life. It's all around you. So thank God that he's the gracious God he is, right? And on the board in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, if you don't think you can do it or don't understand, if you lack wisdom to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he's to ask of our benevolent God, who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame. Isn't that great? I kind of noticed that for the first time when I was studying this. He gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame. Like, I know your weakness. But if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. So we're not going to read all of Luke 18 tonight, but just turn again to Luke 18, 1 as we close. And we'll just finish up with a couple points. Luke 18, 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. He says the same to us. Pray and don't lose heart. The lessons from each parable are graciously explained by our Lord, even if the apostles didn't get it all. He even gave them like summary statements after each parable. Look at Luke 8. 8. 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Look at verse 27. But he said that things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Encouraging solutions are given by God to the humble. And then look at verse 31 to see that we're not alone in our lack of understanding at times. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. 
But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. On the board, MacDonald on Luke 18.34, their minds were so filled with thoughts of temporal deliverer, a temporal deliverer, who would rescue them from the yoke of Rome and set up the kingdom immediately that they refused to entertain any other program. I mean, in other words, Jesus is reading you a parable and you think you already know what it says. So you're not really listening. You're not open to what he really is getting at. So they refuse to entertain any other program. We often believe what we want to believe and resist the truth if it doesn't fit our preconceived notions. I know I do this so much. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. It's not if we do this, it's when and how we do this. Again, look what he said at the end. We often believe what we want to believe and resist the truth if it doesn't fit our preconceived notions. I'm not ready to handle that yet, Lord. I'm going to stick with what I already thought it meant. And what's that? A lack of humility, right? Really. It might be fear, whatever, but it's really arrogance. So we all do this at times. The Lord knows we do. We even live in denial when our flesh feels the need to hold on to its own agenda. Even the apostles, this is the whole point of this series, even the apostles were stuck in their fleshly ideas and God still used them. God still gave them grace. And he's telling us, rejoice in my grace. See, see it. Open your eyes. And do you think maybe Jesus might be patient with you too? He already is, by the way. On the board, as we close, the value of patience. We tend to look at the finished product. For example, think of the apostles, right? But that's a mistake if that's all we look at or all we consider. While this provides us with hope, the greater blessing is to recognize how God's grace prepared them. Through all their mistakes, through all their what's called stupidity or arrogance and pride, or they couldn't comprehend, maybe they weren't willing to comprehend what the Lord was saying at that time, through all that, God still prepared them by grace. And that's our great encouragement, folks. God's not focused on us right now. He's not worried about us right now, like we do. Oh, man, I suck in this area. I, I, I do this all the time. Uh, I can never get past this temptation or whatever. But that's us looking at, like, the, you know, out the window, small window, that's all we see. No seagulls, right? But that's us, like, looking at the here and now. Like, you're in the same place the apostles were in at one point, is the point. Helpless, hopeless, silly, arrogant, etc. But look at the finished product of the apostles years later. Look what God did to them and through them by grace. And that's where we're going to be if we don't quit. If we stay humble and follow him, that's where he's going to take us, bring himself glory through us, and then we can rejoice 
and be a finished product one day. But it's all by God's grace. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your grace, and for your patience with us. Help us appreciate things like your patience, another form of your grace. Help us, Father, to rejoice at all times in your grace and be glad for it. For it's everywhere in our lives, in every area of our lives. Help us not turn a blind eye to it in any way. Help us repent of our familiarity, Father, and help us to rejoice in your graces, which is new and fresh every morning. And we thank you for your faithfulness. Father, please bless us all as we go and help us bring this good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.